Okay, well, we are continuing on, plowing through the book of Genesis. We now come to the end of chapter uh, 21. And today, specifically, we will be in verses 22 through 34. And so, as always, would you open your copy of God's Word and, and read along as I read aloud so that it can sink as deep as it, as it can. Genesis 21, beginning in verse 22. Give careful attention to the Word of God now. <clears throat> At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men cut a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said, um, to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? Abraham said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me, that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. The word of the Lord. Our Lord and our God, as always, we are so thankful for your word to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you continue to make our hearts good soil for the word to land on, that we may be uh, matured. And Father, we um, pray also that as these two men came together for the sake of generational blessing, that we would be a people who come together with the same end in mind with your blessing upon us. We pray in Christ's name and amen. So some of you have had the privilege of meeting my dear Grandpa George. Um, if you were here for our first service ever, he's the one who prayed the, the blessing over us. And you might know that he was a, a missionary for many years in Zambia. But he was also, for a season, the, uh, the president of a retirement community outside of Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, called Messiah Village. If you're familiar with Messiah College, it's, it's near there. And he oversaw some significant expansions during his tenure as the president of Messiah Village. And one specific expansion happened as a direct result of a newer affliction that more of the residents were starting to deal with, namely with memory care issues and what would be called Alzheimer's. Um, this They were not prepared for because this was newer and it requires real uh, special care and attention. And, and so one of the areas of expansion which he required including, included the making of a, of a new Alzheimer's wing where they could care for these patients. And 
Something that was remarkable for me to see in my lifetime is how his, his foresight there, his, his planting of that wing, as it were, ended up being a remarkable kindness, not just to the community there, um, largely, and it has been, but also to my grandma, specifically, decades later. Because in the providence of God, not only is my grandpa still at Messiah Village now as a resident, not as the president, but for the last season of my grandma's life, she was at that very Alzheimer's wing with the best possible care she had, could get because of my grandpa's decree, as it were, that they would make this a reality at Messiah Village. And, and her room was literally probably about a four-minute walk from my grandpa's cottage, where she was at for a season, but then moved to the Alzheimer's wing so that he could go and be with her for every single meal of her life until the very end. And for me, his foresight and faithfulness in the work that he's done at Messiah Village and the way, as I said, it has proved to be such a huge blessing to so many decades later stands before me and has always stood before me as a living inspiration, even as we as a church community are endeavoring on purpose to, to recover a biblical picture of generational and covenant faithfulness, of doing things today on purpose as an intentional kindness to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, who, who will be the ones who reap the fruits of our labor now. And so as we come to our text today, we're going to see two men, namely Abimelech and Abraham, who are demonstrating this type of foresight as well. They come together to make a covenant for the sake of not just their personal protection and blessing, though that certainly is in view, but to be a blessing for the descendants that will come to them after them. So with that, we're going to do an overview of, of the text, and then there's two specific areas with this lens that I want us to hone in on. So the text begins with uh, Abimelech and Phicol coming out to meet Abraham to propose a covenant. And, and so you remember this Abimelech back in Genesis 20. This is a very different situation than when Abraham first met Abimelech after he had taken Sarah in to be part of his harem. So they've worked through that. You can find that sermon in the podcast if you're interested. And again, clearly he and Abraham's relationship has, has changed since then because Abimelech is coming as he makes clear right out of the gate, humbly, because he's observed that God is with Abraham in everything that he touches. God is with Abraham in everything that he does. He, he has seen the power of Yahweh in Abraham's life as Abraham has lived in his land. And, and so he comes, though he's the king of this land, he comes with his general humbly and wisely because he now realizes that there is a greater power at work in this land. There, there is a king in this land that sits on a higher throne than even he does, and it's Abraham's God. And so King Abimelech comes in recognition of Abraham's status, and, and here we see another great fulfillment of God's original promise to Abraham, which we find back in chapter 12, where the Lord had promised to Abraham before he even when, when he was starting to set out, he said, I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And so we see the name of Abraham in the eyes of the king now being great, coming to seek a blessing through blessing Abraham. And so he asked Abraham to, to swear. He says, swear to me that you will not deal falsely with my people or myself or this land, but rather, not only swear to not deal falsely, deal falsely, but this language is interesting. He asks him specifically to deal kindly with me and my people. De- deal kindly with us as, as I've dealt with you. <clears throat> Excuse me. And because he's no fool, he, he knows that this will be mutually advantageous. Abraham knows this as well as he's being engaged. This is a chance for Abraham, after much sojourning, to actually secure some peace and some stability and some longevity in the land. And it's important to note that Phicol here is present also. Um, first of all, because every covenant needs to have at least one witness, and so Phicol comes as a witness to this covenant ceremony. But Phicol is also the commander of the army. So this is a chance for Abraham to secure military protection over his little nation that is starting to form. And so Abraham swears. He says, I swear it. But before they actually cut the covenant, there's a point of tension that they need to work out because there was a well that Abraham had already dug out, but that some of Abimelech's servants had seized from Abraham. And obviously back then a well was a hot commodity. I know, kids, this is going to to blow your mind, but back then you couldn't just turn a dial and have magic water come out of the spout. You had to dig into the ground until water appeared. And so a well is a big deal. This is life. This is livelihood. And Abimelech's men had taken it. And so in order to enter into this covenant without bringing the baggage in, Abraham wants to clear up this beef that he has, as it were, with Abimelech. And Abimelech, again, kind of like he did back in Genesis 20 when he found out about Sarah, he said, why didn't you tell me sooner? Nobody's told me anything about this until now. And so it's implied in the text that he gives assurances that the well will be restored. And we can say it's implied, even though not overtly stated, because in verse 27, they cut the covenant with you lambs and oxen. And so in your Bible, and if you have the ESV, it probably says made a covenant. That's true, but it's not what the word is. The, the word is they cut a covenant. And that's because when you made a covenant back then, so we don't see the mechanics of it here. We did see in Genesis 15, you would literally chop up animals, cut up animals, flay them open. The parties would walk between them, symbolizing, may this happen to me if I break what we just promised to do. And so certainly Abimelech is giving assurances about the well at the cost of his own blood if he doesn't. So they cut the covenant with the animals, but then Abraham also decides to gift Abimelech seven animals. And so this this is a goodwill gift that he didn't have to give, but he wants to give to Abimelech to show his his kindness and so that Abimelech would have a a standing reminder that that well is his. And this is where we get the name of the well. It says Beersheba because that word sounds in the Hebrew like the word for oath and, interestingly, for the word for seven. 
So the covenant is cut and the loyalties are established. The well is reclaimed and named and Abimelech and Phicol head back. And after they leave, Abraham does two things that are very significant. He plants a tree and then he calls upon the name of the Lord. That is, he works the land and then he worships in the land. And so dominion over Beersheba is beginning for the people of God. And then the text ends by saying that he sojourned in the land a long time after this, which does show that he finally got a season of respite and rest by securing the protection of the king and the general of this land after much travel and much drama for over two decades. So so that's the text for today. And as I said, I, I want to make two specific observations for us based on it. The first is this. This text reminds us that our lives are a living sermon to a watching world. Our lives are a living sermon to a watching world. Our lives, how we actually live our days, how we carry ourselves, the the choices that we make, the quality of our character, the quality of our work, how we respond to adversity and trial. Our lives are always preaching a sermon inevitably. They can't not be preaching a sermon. They are always declaring what we believe about God. They declare what we believe about His power and His providence over all things. And we see this in the text today. Because why does Abimelech want to make a covenant with Abraham? We've already noted it. It's because he's observed Abraham's life, and he concluded, based on watching Abraham live, that God is with you in everything that you do. Now, to be sure, Abimelech had at that one time a very clear reminder that God was with Abraham in everything he did, namely When God came to him in a dream and said, you are a dead man because Sarah is that man's wife. And so, yeah, he certainly has that. But it has been some years since that now. So he's not just merely referring to that one instance. He says, God is with you in everything you do. Bimelech has been taking note of Abraham's life. Whether abundance or adversity, Abraham engaged it with an an unflinching faith in the confidence of Yahweh. And this became a powerful sermon to Abimelech and Phicol and the Philistines in the land. In fact, his constant trust in God became a context that God's power was put on display in front of those who, humanly speaking, were the power of the land. So much so that the king and the commander of the entire land no longer placed their faith in their power or in their army, or in their gods for protection, which they had always done, it became clear that the only true protection, the only place to secure a true hope for their land, was found in getting on the right side of the living God. Not by building a a bigger empire, not by building a bigger army. The only place Abimelech realized that true security could be found was by getting on the right side of the living God. So, He was the true king and the true commander in Gerar, 
Abimelech didn't know that before Abraham showed up. And because of Abraham and the way he lived his life, he knew that now. And he said, I want to get in on that, whatever it takes. Abraham's life and faith preached a powerful sermon to a watching world. And so is your life and mine. And, and especially when we face trials. We, we often talk about how the Lord ordains trials for, for our personal sanctification. And he ordains hardship to, to forge our faith. We talk about that often. And of course, that is true. But he also, as we see in this text, ordains trials so that those around us can, can watch us engage them and see the power of God in our life and see the goodness of Christ in our life and see how our peace and our contentment wasn't ultimately founded on anything earthly, but was founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the, the certainty that he holds us fast. That's one of the reasons we go through hard things. And so a watching world can see the goodness and power of God on display in our life. That's the first observation. Our life is always preaching a sermon to a watching world. Next observation, too, this text reminds us that thinking covenantally is a generational kindness. And this is one of the most striking things about this passage. It's how both Abimelech and Abraham are self-consciously doing things today. They're self-consciously taking efforts to secure blessings, not primarily for themselves, but for their people and for their land. Listen again carefully. This is what really struck me in my study this week. Listen again carefully to what is driving Abimelech's desire for a covenant with the people of God this, through Abraham here. Verse 23 he says, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal kindly with me and with the land where you have sojourned. So this is a man who understood that God created a covenantal world and that God intends for his blessings to flow down generationally for those who fear the Lord. And we see this in the text that this begins with God-fearing fathers, so fathers being the covenant head of home, together cultivating God-fearing families that result in God-fearing churches that are all conspiring for blessing and gospel to come upon their shared land that are conspiring for the kingdom of God to break in more and more and to set the darkness to flight. Unless you think that that's how God used to work, but he doesn't anymore with his slow generational expansiveness. Listen again to the words of our Lord in Matthew 13. It says this, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took, and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. It's, it is so tiny. But when it has become grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. And it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And so the picture of gospel expansion is small 
faithfulness, small communities over time slowly growing more and more till it expands over everything and becomes a blessing to the entire garden. And so I find Abimelech's words here very moving. What a glorious thing for a covenant head of home to look another man in the eyes and say, I want you to swear to God. I want you to swear to God that you will partner with me that we may bring blessings upon this land and upon our people. And is this not really a picture of what the local church is? It is a group of believers who who say to one another, we are blood-bought, spirit-empowered Christians that covenant together, that join forces under God on purpose to pull down the life of heaven upon our land. That gospel blessings may may flow out, not just for today, but into a thousand generations. Not just to our our neighbors, but to our neighbors' children and, and their grandchildren. That the gospel may flow out more and more. That in 500 years, Goodlessville, Tennessee will be far more gospel saturated because of the work that we did under God today. And this is why church membership matters. This is the way we formally covenant to do this. And there's something else that I appreciate about this this covenant cutting scene between Abimelech and Abraham. It also shows that this doesn't mean once you covenant together that issues aren't going to arise or that sinners will magically stop being sinners, that there won't be tensions that stretch the bonds because right after, and this is significant, right after Abraham says, I will swear that, immediately, the first thing we see is a dispute that has to be dealt with. The issue surrounding the well. And so so here, Abraham models for us two key ingredients for helping the gears of covenant community function well. Namely, dealing both frankly and charitably with each other. So Abraham is frank. He points directly at the issue He says, this is a problem. This is going to create tension in our covenant. But he's also incredibly charitable. He gives Abimelech a good faith gift in turn. He gives those those seven animals. He says, I'm not harboring bitterness about it. I'm offering blessing to you. He says, I'm not holding a grudge, but I'm going to give graciously. Because as I said, being in covenant together doesn't mean struggles don't come. They will inevitably But it does mean that we are bound by something bigger than either of us. Namely, we are united through Jesus Christ as his body. And being in covenant reminds us that we are striving under God to build something that is so much more significant than just our lives. We want to do things today together to be a blessing for many generations to come. And this is always relevant for the church, and especially in this season for our church and for our covenant community. In God's kindness, we enjoyed the first two years of our life together, relative peace and goodness and flourishing. And then in the providence of God over the last six months, he has dealt us up a very hard providence that has caused tension in our church. And so my my prayer for us as we look at Abraham here is that the enemy would not get a foothold, but we would deal with each other both frankly and charitably. 
that we would flinch forward as a body, as a covenant community by faith, and that we would together submit ourselves to the providence of God and choose to offer blessing and to be on guard against bitterness. And I pray that we would have charitable hearts towards one another, even where we don't agree, knowing that God knows every detail and that he will make things plain in his time. And I pray that we would really dwell on the words of St. Paul in his description of covenant love. 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, and love endures all things. And so let us strive to do that by faith. And let us remember that this is how Christ has dealt with us. Christ has borne with us and Christ has endured with us. And so let us do so together, even as we work through hard things, which inevitably will arise when sinners covenant together. Okay, so we've seen how Abimelech clearly thought in terms of of covenant, of generational blessing, of of attaching himself to the people of God with a vision for blessing and protection. But I said that we see this in both men here. And so where do we see it in Abraham? Well, admittedly, it's not as overt with Abraham as it is with Abimelech. He straight up says, my descendants and my posterity. You don't get more clear than that on, on his thinking. However, when we look back on how this chapter ends, and specifically on the two actions that Abraham makes after the covenant is cut, we understand them in the light of the larger story of Israel, that these were massively significant acts that would echo down for many generations to come. So remember what he does. He plants a tree, and then he calls upon the name of the Lord. And he doesn't do this because he just had some free time on his hands. Rather, these actions are very intentional. This is Abraham, by faith, taking hold of the promise of God that he made to his descendants back in Genesis 12. And so Abraham here is declaring through tree and altar, through what we could call planting and proclamation, through worship and work, that this land, though still occupied by Philistines in the present, was now sanctified already already as holy unto the Lord. And so he was sowing seeds here, both physically and spiritually, that the people of Israel would reap. Because here's something we see. When we get to the book of Joshua and see Israel's conquest over their enemies, which foreshadows Christ's conquest over the nations, we realize that the altars that Abraham had set up, the places where Abraham had worshipped God, were strategic points in the conquest. So he was beforehand laying claim to the land of God that he had promised to him through his worship of God in the land. And this hasn't changed. There is nothing more powerful and potent in the spiritual battle that we are currently engaged in right now for the souls of our children and for the souls of our city than the faithful, faith-filled worship of the people of God on the Lord's day. Worship really is the front line, the front assault against the gates of darkness to drive darkness from the land and to pull down the life of heaven into this broken world. But though our worship is the most important thing we do, Abraham didn't just worship. This is not the only way Christians prepare to pass along a Christian inheritance. He also planted a tree. 
He also engaged in fruitful work. He dug a well. And his work here, his actual manual labor here, would end up echoing down through the history of Israel. Because, and this is interesting, nothing else I said so far was, but this will be interesting. I always like it when somebody says, this is interesting. The well Beersheba in chapter 26 will now become the name of the entire city. And then the city of Beersheba will then become the southernmost marker for the land of Israel. And the frame will become from Dan to Beersheba to talk about Israel. 1 Kings 4.25, throughout the days of Solomon, Judah and Israel dwelt securely from Dan to Beersheba, meaning all of it, each man under his own vine and his own fig tree. And so as we recover a vision for generational faithfulness in the land where God has planted us, the two pillars of that really are faithful worship and fruitful work. Planting trees and planting altars. And as a side note, I also believe that God is more and more going to be calling some, as he already is even here, to, to start Christian businesses, to start creating productive lands, to start creating businesses that unashamedly don't bow to a woke agenda, but proclaim the glory of God in all they do. And Christian businesses who also create the best product in the land because we're doing it for the glory of God. So obviously that won't be everyone's calling, but if that is stirring in you, I would encourage you to, to think deeply about that and to talk about that. It will be for some as we seek to leave, leave this city more gospel-saturated than we found it, like Abraham did through planting the seeds of worship and through planting the seeds of a tree that would, as we will see in the rest of the story of Scripture, provide shade for the generations to come. And again, our Lord and our God.